0: Good morning, Grace Church. How you guys doing? It's good to see you. Uh, it's kind of cool to have some of our youth up reading scripture. Uh, kind of a cool moment. Yes, our youth is sitting right here. I'm gonna pick on them a little today. Uh, my name is Scott. If we haven't met, um, one of the pastors here at Grace. Welcome online. Camp is so good to not see you, but for you to be with us. If you need a Bible today and you're here, raise your hands, and our ushers would love to give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, take it with you. It's our gift uh, to you. Well, I'm here back again, week two. Some of you just clapped. Some of you were like, no. (laughs) It's here, guys. We're we're here together. So uh, very good for me to be here. This is an exciting season. A lot of things happening in the life of our church uh, from house churches. we got some travel coming up, uh, which is very, very exciting. And I just want to quickly note, uh, Nixon, who read, uh, is one of our Guatemala team members. We're sending a team. You can clap at that. Yep. We're sending. I don't know if you know this, so I just wanted to make it known. We're sending a team of 16. I'll be going. Pastor Josh will be going, and a lot of a lot of people. 16 of us uh, will be traveling to Guatemala in September. Um, so more on that. More to come. But I just wanted to let you guys know that you guys are sending us. To Guatemala to do some amazing things, and so we'll report on that. Um, you can turn your Bibles to Second Timothy, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's in the New Testament. Uh, it's one of Paul's letters. We'll get into that in a moment. Uh, we've been in this series uh, called the Storm Tossed Family, and if you've been coming for a while, you know we've been in the Book of Mark the entire year, and this is the first break we've taken from the Gospel of Mark, and we wanted to in the fa- in the summer to kind of focus on families a little bit, and so this has been very short. This is the last week, the third week uh, on Focus on Family. And so week one, Pastor Josh talked about marriage and, and God's design for marriage and how to flourish in marriage. Uh, last week, I talked about parenting and, and what God's design is for parenting and how we are to disciple our kids. This week, if you're like, yeah, none of those, I'm not in that season. You know, I'm, I'm single or I have adult children or you're just not in that season of life. This season is for everyone. And, and some of you youth, I'm, I'm going to talk to you because you're like, yeah, this isn't for me. But we're talking about legacy today. And I want us uh, to focus on what it means to have a legacy and a legacy of faith. Uh, We're gonna get into the scripture, and there's 14 verses, and we're gonna gonna cover that. But right in the middle, I'm gonna take a little bit of a break to talk to a specific uh, group of you, and I'm gonna talk to singles. So that should be fun and interesting. But I'll do that right in the middle. Well, a couple months ago, I preached a sermon on uh, the death of John the Baptist. I, w- I was talking out of Mark 6, and we read that scripture together. And I said something in that message that applies today. What I said was, you know, a lot of it, we can't really determine how we die. Like, most of us won't determine how we die. We, don't, we won't know. Uh, but how we live will determine the impact of our death. So that's what I said, and, and it still is true, and it's specifically true for the issue of legacy. Like, no big surprise, guys. We're, none of us are getting out of this thing alive. <laughs> like, we're all going to die. It was an encouraging message today. pastor said, we're going to die. That's fun. But we're, <laughs> we're all going to pass away. And so it, how we live matters, and what we leave behind matters as well. And so some of you may be a little younger, and you go, yeah, I'll, I'll deal with that later. And that was my thought, you know, through my 20s and my teens and my 20s and Now I'm 42, and my kids are getting older, and I have to think about these things. So there's these questions we need to think about. After you're gone, what do you want to happen, right? What what do you want to happen when you pass away, when you leave Earth? What do you want to be remembered for? You have family and friends, and whether you're single and married and have kids, or don't, or just have a group of friends, and have mom and dad, or whoever you have, what do you want those people to remember you for? And then thirdly, those people that will remember you, what do you want them to say about you after you're gone? Think about that. Like what is your eulogy going to look like when, you're, when, when your funeral is happening? What do you want people to remember you for and what do you want them to say about you when you're gone? Because I know this, that you know God is definitely concerned about how you live your life. He's concerned about how we live our lives, but he's also concerned with the legacy that we leave. What type of life are you leaving, leading and what are you gonna leave behind? Because the truth is, we all will. Like we're all gonna leave behind something. We're all gonna pass on something to our loved ones. And so the question is, what? And how do we live a life that will outlive us? How do we live a life that will be remembered and that will outlive us? Have you ever asked yourself those questions? I know I have. And some of you who are older, you know, it's 9 a.m., we get some of the older, uh, in the, and I have to be careful with how I say that, but some of our older uh, people, they've thought about those things. They've written those things down. They've talked and thought about a legacy. And there's all kinds of different legacies that you can leave behind, and, and so you can think of what you want to be remembered for. It's funny, I was uh, researching different interesting legacies and I found one of this guy I'd never heard of. I guarantee none of you, if, you'd heard, if you have heard of him, I'll tell you his name. I'll give you, Pastor Josh will give you $100. <laughs> He'll give you $100. Here's his name. You know who he is, but you've never heard of his name. His name is Victor Dorman. Anybody? No, I didn't think so. We got one. Josh, pay him. I'm just kidding. He's an interesting guy. His obituary, he gave the world the concept of putting paper in cheese slices. That is awesome, like what a cool thing to pass on because when you get cheese and there's no paper that sucks, this guy, Victor Dorman, left an amazing legacy and I appreciate him and I just wanted to acknowledge that. That's it, that's it. As weird or as normal or as good or as bad as, as we pass on to people we love, you all will, we will all pass something on, and that is literally the definition of legacy, something you pass on. But when we think about that in our culture, we think of financial, don't we? We think of documents like a will or a trust, and, and a trust or a will will outline our assets and the things that we have, and they will, it will determine, they're your instructions on how those assets are to be distributed to those you love. So if you're a grandparent, parent, I hope you have a trust, it's better than a will, by the way, that's free advice, but get a trust and it, and you outline in there who your successors are and what you want to go to them. So if you have a house, you have stocks or bonds or money in the bank, whatever you got, and it will determine where those things go. So, but as Christians, we want to leave something behind that's not just financial value. The finances stuff, that's great, but we want to live, leave something behind on and pass on, that's something bigger, that's something what we think is better. I want to leave a spiritual legacy, a legacy of faith, and we as Christians should want that. So how should we think about legacy? And I want us to read the scripture and dive in to this model of Paul and Timothy and how we should look and think about legacy. So let's read together verses 1 and 2. He starts with this, 2 Timothy 1, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, it's who he's writing to, my beloved child, he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Paul is writing from a prison. He's, He's currently, when he's writing this letter, this is his second letter to Timothy, and he's writing from this prison, and we have a picture of the prison You could literally go there right now in Rome, and what you would see is kind of a cave or a dungeon. Do we have it? It's kind of hard to see that, but I researched it, and there's this upper room, and you go down these like stone steps, and there's that room, and I was thinking about this because Paul is sitting in this like dungeon-like prison cave thing in Rome, and he's writing this amazing encouragement to Timothy. Timothy and him have a special relationship, and this in particular was a unique letter that he's writing Timothy. And it's unique because it's, it's not just his second letter, but Paul knew something. Paul suspected and knew that he would soon be killed. And so this letter is unique in that it holds an urgency and a passion like none of his other letters. And so he's writing with this, with this urgency and passion to his disciple, to his student, to his, his spiritual son, this letter. Uh, and I, I was just thinking about it. Like, imagine your thoughts of what you would, when you were living in this thing, what a depressive experience. You're laying on the ground in this dungeon, this prison, and you're just depressed. But yet he is so uplifted, so full of joy, as we'll read And he spills these words onto these pages and passes it to Timothy in a way of a legacy that I want to show you. And you got to notice the way he addresses Timothy, my beloved, my dear child. In 1 Timothy 1.1, he refers to Timothy as my true child of faith. It wasn't his real son, but he was his spiritual son, adopted into discipleship to make sure that Paul was leaving a legacy of faith through Timothy. Because Paul believes something that not many people in our world believe in. Not even many people in this room, I feel like. That may be harsh, but a lot of people don't believe what Paul knew and what he believed to be true. Because he didn't just believe in the church. like He, he was the ultimate church planter, right? This is what he did. He loved the gospel. But he believed that if he committed, that if he devoted his entire life to spreading the gospel, to multiplying disciples, that he would leave a legacy of faith that would outlive his life. That's what he believed. And I'm not convinced a lot of us believe that. I'm not convinced that we believe that, but Paul did. So that's the first thing I want us to to really soak in and understand that if we, if our legacy, our legacy will outlast us, when our lives are not about us, but are devoted to the king and his kingdom. Our lives literally, they're gonna, it's gonna outlast us when it's not about us, but when it's devoted to God and when it's devoted to his kingdom. So often, our lives are about us, are they not? Our lives are, are self-centered, the way we live are so often self-centered, me too. And so we have nothing of real substance to then leave on to the people we love. Andy Stanley says it this way. He says it perfect. He says, those who devote themselves to themselves will ultimately have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. Like, I kind of hate this guy for how good he is at wordsmithing these things. It's annoying how good he is. Those who devote themselves to themselves will ultimately have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. That's so good. Like That's so good. Because it's so true. Not only is it catchy, it's really, really true. But this is what we do. And simply put, our lives have to be centered around something bigger than ourselves. Last week I was talking about parenting, and I said, your children have to be anchored to something bigger than you. The same is true for us as adults. It's the same thing. Our lives have to be anchored to, have to be committed to, devoted to whatever whatever word you want to use, to something bigger than ourselves for it to outlive us, to outlast us, so that we can leave a legacy of faith. And we all anchor ourselves to something or multiple things, right? You're a student, you anchor yourself to school, it's part of your identity, not a bad thing. We're in our careers and we anchor ourselves to those careers, So whether it's education, career, success, more money, like whatever it is, we anchor ourselves to those things. I used to have a coworker uh, (laughs) back in my financial world. I had a coworker who just always bragged about his high-level education. I'm like, man, that's cool. His name was Robert. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's so cool. He would just brag about it on and on. And he would use these huge academic words that even the academics didn't understand. And everyone was like, you're annoying. <laughs> so if that's you, don't do that. But his name was Robert. And so I would tease him a little bit. I'm kind of a tease. And I, call, I called him a name that everyone else started calling him. I called him Big Word Bob. And that, that was his name. And he was just known for that. Because his anchor, what he tied himself to, how he lived, was all centered around his achievement in the academic world. Not a bad thing, folks. But that's all he had. Like, that's, that's literally all he had. And so for many of us, we're tied to our success. Again, super happy you're successful. We're tied to our career, to advancing. We're tied to our, our car, our, you know, whatever we can get next, the bigger and better thing that we can do. And we're tied to our achievement. We're anchored. We're driven. We're dedicated to our achievement. And it's so true because we can be obsessed about those things. And I've noticed, like, a lot of my generation and older, we're tied to those things. Some of the younger generation, they're tied to, like, finding happiness, and that's the ultimate pursuit of their lives. I just want to be happy. Like, that's, that's the thing. I just want to be happy. But can I tell you something? Especially youth, I want you to hear me. Culture will, will promote, go and be happy, find and do everything to make you happy. That's not what scripture says, though. That's not your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is not to just pursue happiness. Your purpose is to know and love and serve God. Our purpose are anchored and should be tied to the gospel, his message, and to the person of Jesus. But it's hard. It's difficult. We're so inwardly focused. And I'm just convinced that as a church, as a a faith family, we should be different, shouldn't we? We should be a people that others look at and don't know Jesus and they see us and they see something unique. They see the way we live and they're like, what, I don't know, they're kind of weird, but there's something there. (laughs) Like the way they love each other, everyone else is fighting and they're not doing that, hopefully. Like we just should live in a different way as Jesus followers, where people just want to know and they're drawn to something. There's something so compelling there they're doing life together in a way that, that is unique and different from the world. They don't hate the world, but, and they're in it, but they just, they love each other, and they love us, and they're the most hospitable people, and they're, leave, they're le- leading this life that would leave a legacy. And i got to know what it is. And I'm just convinced that we should do that. We should be a people who live so differently that people are drawn to it. Why? Because although we are inwardly people and we, I'm a selfish person, my purpose, your purpose, doesn't even belong to you, it belongs to your creator. And I feel like we've gotten that mixed up a little bit. Like what's, what's my purpose and we're in our hustle and we're, we're motivated and we look at self-help stuff and this is what we are and so we devote our lives to getting, achieving happiness and all those things. When at the end of the day, if we could just realize, like, my purpose, my story, my legacy doesn't even belong to me, it belongs to the Lord. So I'm going to live for him. Paul devoted his life this way, and he's teaching Timothy to do the same thing. What are you devoted to? Andy Stanley then comes back with a reverse statement, and he says this. If you devote yourself to more than yourself... You ultimately have, will have more than yourself to show for yourself. Again, so good. If you devote yourself to more than yourself, you ultimately will have more than yourself to show for yourself. You will have something bigger than yourself that will outlive you, and you will be able to pass that on to others. You're like, Scott, I'm busy. I'm building wealth, I'm building my career. It's awesome. Super happy for you. I know a lot of successful people and people who are on their way there, and it's great. I just want you to ask yourself, what is it for? Right, don't, not, don't stop doing it. Like uh, the pastor said I should give up my career and my money. I'm not saying that, but analyze yourself. Ask yourself, what are you doing it for? Is it for just you, right? Is it just, is it just for you and, and your pride, your ego? Things that you can give away to even so that you can get validation and credibility and all those things? Is it for you? Keep doing those things. But here's, a, here's just a warning, because I hear this a lot. I hear a lot of family people and single people, too. So yeah, I'm doing it for my future. I'm doing it for my family. Awesome. Great reason. But also don't use that reason as an excuse to not be present and not invest in love in other people, Right? Because there's a lot of dads, this, this is kind of a parenting thing, but this isn't a parenting mes- message. There's a lot of dads, there's a lot of moms, there's a lot of friends, a lot of family members. They're so busy hustling, achieving, getting the next thing, getting the next degree, getting the next paycheck or the next promotion or bonus, that when, th- when they're around, it's as if they're not even there. They're always on their phone, they're always checking the numbers, they're always doing stuff, consumed, stressed out, and you're like... This is what you're doing it for? So we have to look at our lives this way and say, is how I'm living reflective of the legacy that I want to give away? A legacy of faith that I want to leave other people. Because imagine your obituary, especially if you're a family person, great mom, great dad, worked really hard, super successful, achieved a lot, didn't really know him. Didn't really know him. And yet, we do this, and we're consumed, and it's hard because that's our culture in America, but we have to be countercultural. We still have to be so, so different. We have to invest in the kingdom. We have to devote ourselves to God and his kingdom more than our hustle. Because if your friends don't know you, if your family doesn't truly know you, like if you're not sitting down with your kids or your spouse or your friends and saying, let's just talk, and you unbury your head from the phone, and you just chat and hang out, just get to know them and love them and invest in them, that'll make a difference. In the early 2000s, there was this group of theologians called the Mumford and Sons, and um, (laughs) didn't know how that was gonna land because... Didn't know a lot of you knew who that was. But the Mumford and Sons were theologians, and they said this one time. They said, in these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. Just true. Like, boom, theologians. They did it. Where you invest your love is where you will invest your life. What are you loving, and what are you devoting your life to? Because all your assets are good, they're, it's awesome. Build it, do it. But they're temporal, they're temporary. They literally won't go with you when you die. But when you invest in the kingdom, when you're investing in people, when you're invested in God's kingdom, spreading the gospel and loving and pouring into people, that's exactly what will outlive you. Right? Those, that will carry on. And that has eternal value and not temporary. Verse three. That was only two verses, folks. We've got a ways to go. Verse three, it says this. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. With a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, Timothy, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first with your grandmother Lois your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure it dwells in you. For this reason, I, am re- I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on my hand of my hands, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love and self-control. So I love this, because he speaks of Timothy's grandmother, Eunice, and said she had a sincere faith. She believed in the Christ. She believed in the gospel. And then your mother Eunice, she believed the same thing. And it went from Lois and went to Eunice. And now I'm sure it's in you. I know it's in you. And you see that legacy of faith happening in Timothy's family and in his life. And I have no idea if Lois or Eunice had assets. Like I'm pretty sure they didn't have stocks and bonds then. I don't know what they had if they left physical things behind to Timothy. But I do know that they left a legacy of faith to Timothy. And that Paul, with his laying on the hands of Timothy and being so intimately involved in discipling Timothy, it spread the gospel, and it's why we're talking about it right now in 2022, almost 2,000 years later. Right? There's something special that happened here. And a legacy of faith from his family and the pouring into him by Paul. This word sincere means without hypocrisy, genuine. It's a genuine, a sincere faith that they passed on to Timothy. And so the question is, are we willing to do the same? Like, are we willing to dive in in that way? Are we willing to devote ourselves in that way in order to have this legacy of faith? Verse 8, he goes on, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and, listen to this, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace for which he gave us Christ Jesus before the ages began. Calling calling all of us to a holy calling by his purpose and not our own. And I love that. So I want to take a break and I want to talk about I want to talk directly to you singles for a moment. Because you're like, man, the marriage thing was good, but I'm not there. The parenting thing seems a little far off to me. And so I get it. We've heard you. You haven't said anything, but we've heard you thinking. And uh, I want to address this real quick. Because this has been a family series. But Paul also speaks to singleness. So if you're single and you're in that season, listen to these words by Paul to his letter to the Corinthians. He says, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. There it is. That's it. You're going to be single for the, no, I'm just kidding. But if you, if they cannot exercise self-control, you should get married. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So by a show of hands, who's burning with passion, let's link you up. And No, I'm, don't do that. What a weird Sunday that would be. Verse 8 speaks of someone who is single on purpose, right? He's saying it's, it's better for you to be single, and if that's you, you're, you're single on purpose. Verse 9 speaks of someone who is single until they found it, find a spice, a spice, a spouse, a spicy spouse. <laughs> Always happens. I have a spicy spouse. <laughs> so the saying goes, you're either single for a reason or single for a season, and you, if you're single, you either fall into one of those categories. There's probably more of I'm, in a, I'm single for a season until I find a spouse. But some of you may be single for a reason. And you're devoted and committed. You take Apostle Paul's uh, words in verse 8 and you're like, yep, that's me. It's better for me. I'm going to commit my life to Christ and that's it. I'm dating Jesus. And we, you know, those things. Good things, not bad things. But here's the thing. If you're single and you are headed towards marriage at some point. You don't know when, and that's okay. Here's what I want to say. You're in training. You're in training for who you will become and who you're going to be married to. So take this season of singleness as I'm in training. What do I need to do? And so that first message on marriage, that should be training for you. This is what marriage should look like. The message last week, parenting may be far off for me, but you know what? This is training for me of how I need to parent my children and children around me. And so you're in training in this moment. And also, you're you're in the church, you're in the body of Christ. That means you have a family to tend to even if you're single. It doesn't negate the responsibility of it takes a village to raise our kids, it takes a village to grow and depend on God together. It takes a village to multiply. So you still have a responsibility attached to you and I know, I know it's hard, it's difficult. We're always thinking ahead. We're, we're thinking about what's my wedding going to be like, right? What, where am I going to live? And, you know, what's that, that, that first date going to be? And then are we going to have kids? And what's that going to be like? And so we're dreaming about those things if we're single, right? I remember those days in my 20s. We're kind of dreaming about what, what What's that picture look like? What's that story going to be like? Instead of thinking, what? What am I going to look like? What's going to be the quality of a husband, uh, of a husband I'm going to be, or a wife? How good am I going to be at being at being a parent? What type of parent do I want to be? What type of spouse do I want to be? And I want to look at that and say, I need to train for that. I need to become that person. And I think we need to look at that and look not just dream, but look specifically. Look, details. So here's three things I want to share for you. Just advice from your friend Scott. That's it. Simple. Number one, be single with intention. All right. That's what I'm talking about. Be single with intention. This means intentionally building your own character while you're single. Don't stop when you get married, by the way. But I'm just saying, like, focus on this right now. Work on your character. Spend time with God. Read scripture. Pray. Grow your faith. And if you're the person that's single for a season, again, another amazing Andy Stanley quote. He says, become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. Like, wrap your mind around that. Gosh, Andy. Become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. Build your character so that when you find your spouse, they don't think they have to fix you or wait till you mature. You're already on the way. You're already working on yourself. Your pursuit is God and your character. Such a powerful thing to to be someone who is single with intention. And if you're choosing singleness, if you're single for a reason, right, focus on building your character and building the kingdom. Serve the kingdom. Multiply the kingdom. Disciple people. Be discipled. Pour into other people. Serve in the church. Be a part of a house church. Grow the kingdom. Have, and and you can build your own sincere faith, right, like Paul's talking about, by pouring into and serving other people. Number two is date with purpose. Date with intention, right? Be intentional about yourself, but date with intention of marriage and be upfront about it. And that doesn't mean be weird. Like, don't be weird about that. But if you start dating someone and you're talking about things, be intentional in why you're dating that person. And no, like if you know you're not going to marry that person, don't date them. Like don't. Just say, I'm sorry, I got to go. Goodbye. My mom called. (laughs) Leave. Don't date them. Like you can have all the weird things on your Christian dating profile online, (laughs) And I've seen a lot of them, you know, you go to ChristianTingle.com and you're, you're on there and you're, that's not a real one, I, that's fake. Don't be the weird person, but let people know like this is, I'm, I'm purposeful, I'm intentional in why I'm dating and it should lead to marriage and we may find out it works, we may find out it, it doesn't work. At some point, have that conversation and then make a commitment and this is an unpopular opinion. Some of you, even as Christians, may disagree with me. You're wrong, I'm right, but that's okay. I would say, do not, hear hear me when I say this. This is a bold statement. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ and you're committed to following him, do not date non-Christians. I know, I know, I know the way that sounds. Don't do it, you guys. Don't do it. You need to guard yourself from entering into a romantic affection and relationship with people who aren't true followers of Jesus. Believe me, as a married person, do that. Commit yourself to that. If you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. But I'm going to tell you again, it's an unpopular opinion. This isn't, you know, everyone else is evil. I'm not saying that. You're so drastically different, though. How you want your, marriage, your wedding to look like? How do you want your kids to turn out? What kind of schooling? It's just the value system is so drastically different. If you're a Christian, date a Christian. I'll leave that there. It's awkward. And then lastly, third thing for singles: wait on the Lord, because I know this is so difficult. This is so, this is really difficult. You're like, yeah, God, I'm in my 30s. I'm like, uh, I'm not. I'm not even close there yet. Yeah. Just wait on the Lord. Pursue Him. He knows. He knows, he knows you're anxious, he knows you're frustrated, focus on him. If it's, if you're burning with passion as Paul says, if you're burning with a desire to be married and to have a family, God knows it. I'm not promising you he'll give it to you, but I'm promising you that he knows it and he'll walk with you through it. Be with him, wait on him, be patient and focus on him. Break over. Let's go back to Paul. So we remember in verse nine, Paul tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of faith that you have. Don't be ashamed of that. Paul's encouraging Timothy. He's encouraging him in his faith. Remember Lois and Eunice, and he's saying, let fan into flame the faith that has been given to you, and let me encourage you in your faith. Try to build that faith so you can leave a legacy of faith. So he's spilling and pouring in through this letter to Timothy. And talking about this faith, and we're talking about this legacy of faith. And so the second thing I really want you to see is that the same faith that lives in you is the only faith that you could reproduce. It's the only faith that you could leave behind. The faith that lives inside of you right now, if you were to die tomorrow, that's the only faith that will be given away to the people you love. Like, you can't give away what's not there. Like, we've never arrived. None of us are at this pinnacle of, of a faith being, Right? But just know this, you can't give away a faith if you're not practicing and building your faith. You won't give away the faith that you want. And we, when we think that a legacy, we, we tend to dream and, and we want to have this impact on the people and our kids and our family and our friends, and we want to have this huge legacy and this huge impact from our legacy. And like, like, I think that way. My three boys, like I want them to know Jesus and have their kids know Jesus and be involved in the church and all those things. But they're not going to do it if I don't make it a thing, if I don't prioritize it in my life. So when we talk about a legacy of faith, we tend to want our loved ones to prioritize what we're not prioritizing. And we're not. And so we need to prioritize those things of faith so that we could leave a legacy of faith. Because when we die, we can expect all the things that we're a priority for you, a value for you, that's how you're going to be remembered. So if you are so concerned about your house, if you're so concerned about your career, they're going to remember you for that. Again, not a bad thing, but will you be remembered for your faith in Jesus Christ? Will will everyone go, that was a priority for them? Church was a priority. Reading scripture was a priority. Knowing Jesus and praying to him was a priority in their life. Have you prioritized your relationship with Christ and your relationship with his church? In single people, just like married, just like those of us with kids, you have a holy calling with a purpose that doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the Lord. And you're responsible for that calling, even if you're single for the rest of your life. You're responsible for that legacy that you that you will leave on. Let's go to verse 10, it says, in which now has been manifested through the appearance of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a, a preacher, an apostle, a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know who, whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. And then he closes with this. Paul finishes to say, Timothy, and and I say, Grace Church, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You have been deposited into some type of legacy of faith. I know that because you're here and are you going to guard that deposit? And that's for all of us, wherever you're at in the season of life. Paul calls himself the spiritual father of Timothy. And Paul was brought to faith by Jesus himself. And then he helped and discipled Timothy. And although Timothy was passed a legacy of faith through his grandmother and his mother, he furthered it along and poured in himself into Timothy and, and discipled him in a powerful way. And I don't know what that legacy of faith is that you've been given, right? I have no idea. So Some of you may have that from your biological family. I did not have that. Some of you do. And that is a blessing if you do. But my hope is that even if you didn't, if you did, amazing, like amazing. Continue that legacy of faith. But if you didn't, my hope is that you have had a spiritual father or mother or somebody to pour into you. And pass on to you a legacy of faith. And if you've never had it at all, you're sitting around them right now. That's what we are as a church. That's who we are. That's who we're meant to be, I should say. And so that's what house churches are. That's what discipleship is. That's who we are. For me, his name was Mark. I talk about him a lot. He wasn't my real dad. My dad was in prison. But Mark just saw a kid and said, I'll be your dad. He's like, What? My best friend's dad. I'll be your dad. So to this day, that was fifth grade. I'm 42 years old. I talked to him two days ago. He's my spiritual father. All through my childhood, he discipled me. He poured into me. He passed on a legacy of faith. I'm not even in this family, but I'm part of Mark DeSalvo's legacy of faith. You see the power in that? It doesn't have to be biological. You could give away your story, your faith, into others who are not your biological children. Imagine the church in that way, how powerful that is. That's what we're trying to create with house churches, where we do community together, and discipleship comes out of that. It's a powerful thing, and I've had all kinds of mentors, and Mark was my main one, and I got another one, Dana, and Bill, and Jerry, and Ken, and all these people, and some of them I've sought out to disciple me, some of them... They've come to me and God has just placed there, and so saying, like, I don't have a mentor, I don't, I, I've never, God's never given it to me. It's not an excuse. Find it. Like, seek it out, pray about it. God can give you that. In this household of faith, even, God can give you, give you that. Who was it for you? Who is it for you that is depositing into your life the faith that maybe you haven't had or never had, but now Can. Paul discipled Timothy. Mark discipled me. Who discipled you? Even if you're older, guys, you should still be discipled and be discipling other people. We need to be integrated into each other's lives in a way that would outlive us. This is the powerful thing of legacy. It's a legacy of faith. The kind of legacy you leave really, really does matter. But we have a decision to make. What are we going to devote ourselves to to ourselves are we going to devote ourselves to our own lives or are we going to devote ourselves to the Lord his kingdom and each other? This is something that we should think about we should pray about we should journal about talk to us about it if you're a, if you're in a house church and you're ready, go to your house church leader and say, "I want to be discipled see what happens there's some There's some things there What we could do. How will you leave a legacy of faith? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for us. I pray, God, that you would help us see our lives not just as something that we can consume and and build and be successful and achieve and find happiness, but see our lives from your perspective. See our lives through the the lens of the gospel, of who Jesus is, Jesus, what you accomplished. How would you use us? How would we leave a legacy of faith that would outlive our lives? So that we could devote our lives, God, to something bigger than us. We would devote our lives to you. To your message, to your kingdom. Commit our lives to you and the church in a way that maybe we never have before. And maybe that's that step, right? That's the the thing that you're calling us to do. And so I don't know where everybody's at, but I do know that you have, you have a purpose for us, and that purpose is not our own, but it's yours. And so just as a church, we say, here I am. Use me. Take me. Are there people around me I can invest in to leave a legacy of faith? Who are they? Show them to me. And may I depend on you and devote myself to you so that it would be a long-lasting impact in their lives. Father, we love you, and I pray that as a church, Grace Church would be, would be a people that would go out and would just look different, be different. And once we're gone, we would be known by who you are, by the person of Jesus Christ in your gospel. It's in your name I pray, amen.